Our reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And dividing tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sign, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us his own nature language? Parthians, and Medes, Delamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made both him Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. 
And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Advancing the Gospel is the uh, title of our uh, 2024 series. It's probably not going to last all of 2024, but, you know, uh, I can't guarantee that either. There's so much in here when we look at the, uh, the book of Acts in the New Testament that uh, it's just so rich and encouraging and helpful for us as a church. Um, this is the second week then of our, our new series, and, and last week we uh, looked at, at the first, um, I don't know, what was it, first 12 verses or so um, of the book of Acts, and we saw that Jesus um, spent 40 days um, with his disciples, uh, teaching them, uh, showing them uh, himself, convincing them that he was alive and risen from the grave with many uh, works and, and lots of teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And so then we come now to this period uh, of time, this, this moment called Pentecost. It's a very significant moment in the history of the church, and you've maybe heard of Pentecost, Pentecostal, this word here. We'll look at that in a few moments. Um, but as we go through the text, I've got four headlines for you um, to help us really hang on to the, the key teaching in this amazing passage. So first of all, we'll look at the events of Pentecost, right? Just get our head around the details. Secondly, we'll think then about the explanation of Pentecost, what's it all about. Thirdly, we'll look at the surprise of Pentecost, there is a kick. And fourthly, the significance of Pentecost. So the event, the explanation, surprise, significance. Um, Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to uh, heaven, to the right hand of the Father, Jesus said to his disciples, do not depart Jerusalem where they were, but wait, he says, wait for the promise of the Father. He let, later on explained that as the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, you will be uh, empowered. You will receive the power uh, from my Father, the Holy Spirit, and you'll be my witnesses. Do you remember that? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so now what we see today is this day, this moment, this significant moment in, in salvation history, in God's interactions with humankind, um, this day of Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Um, actually, it started off as a Jewish festival. Um, we see that in, in verse 5. That is why there are so many people, it says, dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men and women, no doubt, uh, from every nation under heaven. That's why... Uh, People came into Jerusalem for the, the, the Jewish feast of Pentecost. Um, the word Pentecost means 50th, 50th. So it, it occurred 50 days after Passover. So Jesus had died on the cross, risen from the grave. That happened on the Passover and around the Passover time. And so we're coming here now 50 days later. What was the Jewish um, festival originally for? Well, it was a celebration of the beginning of the harvest, the, 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 the first fruits. And God had it wired into the Jewish calendar that when they start to see the first fruits of the first harvest, you praise God and you thank him for what he has done and bringing uh, this, this, this harvest to you. Later on, as, as, um, as the sort of tradition developed, I suppose, and, 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 and uh, the society sort of cultural, culturally moved on a little bit, um, Passover also... Um, sort of became a celebration, 
with the first fruits, but also they began to celebrate the giving of the law, God's law, at Sinai, the, the, the big mountain where Moses went up the mountain. God came down, and, and the two of them spoke, and God gave the law and said, this is how you should follow me. So, so both of those things were sort of uh, celebrated. By the time we get to Jesus, we're celebrated at Passover, the, the new harvest, the, the first fruits, and then the coming of God down to speak and instruct and be with his people. Have that in your mind. That will come back in a few moments. So it says in verse 1, for example, um, they were all together in one place. Most likely this was the, the 12 apostles. They are now 12. They were 11. They went down. They manned down for a bit after Judas uh, betrayed Christ. They, they, they found a replacement called Matthias or Matthias. Um, he's installed as the, the 12th apostle. It's important they had 12. Probably others as well with them. Um, we, we read of, a, for example, a big prayer meeting with about 120 believers, both men and women, uh, at the end of chapter 1. And it says in verse uh, 2, so they're all together in one place, don't know what they're doing, probably praying, gathering, having fellowship, we don't know. Um, and it says that a sound, in verse 2, like a mighty rushing wind, filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues of fire appeared and rested on each of them. There's two things going on. It's, it's, um, it's, it's very unusual, okay? But what we've just heard is that this sound of mighty rushing wind, just the sound, not wind itself, but the sound of a mighty rushing wind, raw power, sitting in the middle of a hurricane, that's what we're thinking here, just the sound of a deafening wind entering and fire appearing, it says, and settling, as it were, on each of their heads. Fire symbolically refers to holiness, refers to um, refining. We see, we see this all through the Old Testament, cleansing. And it says there in verse 4 then, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is happening? What is happening? Well, in, in, in verse 11, it says that the others were listening in, seeing all this stuff happening, and, and there would seem to be this eruption of praise and worship, this spirit-filled breakout, and those listening and witnessing all this from outside, uh, and, and, and no doubt was starting to spill out on the streets. These, these people apparently appearing quite crazy, quite intoxicated, uh, the, these disciples of Jesus. Um, and it says that they were declaring in verse 11, the mighty works of God. So there they were, spilling out. Uh, almost like this, this, this power had appeared, something had happened, there'd been a, almost like a switch had been flicked, and they were uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, telling of the mighty works of God and spilling out onto the streets. But they were able to speak the mighty works of God in other languages. So we've just got this big list here in verse, I don't know, um, 8, sorry, 9 through to 12, all these different uh, people, groups from across the Roman Empire, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, you know, um, so on and so forth. Um, all of them were able to hear the gospel in their own language. The good news of Jesus and what he's done, it's amazing. Uh, the, the crowd were amazed, not only because these, these individuals were able to speak in these languages, but are they not Galileans? They may have spoken different languages, but they had a thick Galilean accent. And they were taking, you know, just the accent as they do today. You know, certain accents sort of convey a sense of sophistication. Other accents convey a sense of, this person's an idiot. You know, they're stupid because it, that, that's how it is. Are, are not those who are speaking Galileans? They're, 
they're just northerners, and yet they can speak in all of these languages. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this incredible? It's a marvelous thing. It's the day of Pentecost, the day when the Jewish people were gathering to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest, the day when they celebrated and reminded themselves of God coming down to his people on Mount Sinai. That was the day that God chose to pour out his Holy Spirit, to come down, to fill his people, for many to hear the good news and to put their trust in Christ. The first fruits, astonishing, amazing Jews across the ancient Near East gathering. That is the day, God's impeccable timing. The event of Pentecost. So there it is. So that's, the, the, I suppose, the framework, the, the, the nuts and bolts of what actually happened. Um, but let's look, secondly then, at the explanation of Pentecost. The, pro- the problem, I suppose you call it a problem with a sign or a, an amazing experience or a wonderful work, uh, is that it needs some explanation, right? it needs an interpretation. Otherwise, it's just a sign that points to nowhere. Uh, and so that's what we see. We see this amazing thing happening with spilling out on the street, suddenly filled, as it says, with the Holy Spirit, speaking the mighty works of God in all these different languages, needs an explanation. Because you see in verse 12 and 13, it says people were amazed at what they saw and heard. But it says some were perplexed. Hmm, what could this mean? They would say to themselves, some were mocking. Some said they were skeptical. They, they, they're drunk. They came across as intoxicated, out of their minds. And so Peter, the apostle, uh, the leader, I suppose, of the 12, it says he got up and he addressed the crowds, freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. But do you notice he's in his right mind? He's, he's not babbling. He's not, he's not, he's not caught up in, in some sort of ecstatic uh, gibbering. He is able to speak and, and reason and preach there and then. And he's filled with the Spirit, and he addresses the crowd. And he says they are not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's only nine o'clock in the morning which, to be fair, is not the strongest argument that you could make. Um, to, to not be drunk at 9 a.m. is, you know, um, you know, it doesn't always apply, does it? But he says, no, 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 what you're seeing is not put down to some intoxication or other. This is a fulfillment, he says, of the Old Testament prophets, of the Hebrew prophets. Look down, for example, at verse um, 17. He begins to quote from uh, the Hebrew prophet Joel. He says this, This is from Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy, and I will show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Peter is saying that this phenomenon that you're seeing here is an answering of Joel's prophecies. Um, this, this term here, the last days, that you see in verse 17, uh, this was understood as the, the new age, the age that ma- the Jewish people were awaiting, the, the, the age when the Messiah would come, the kingdom of God um, would come in fullness and power and defeat all their enemies. And God's saying in the, in the prophecy, in the Old Testament prophecy from many centuries earlier, I will pour out my spirit, he says, on all flesh. That means all types of flesh. My my Holy Spirit is no longer, on on that moment, says God, not going to be restricted to an important few people. 
a few key individuals, a few chosen ones. He says instead, no, no, no. My Holy Spirit in those days when the Messiah uh, brings, uh, as, as it were, the new age, my Holy Spirit will be uh, given to sons and daughters, that's men and women, the young and the old, the high in society and the low in society. They will be given prophet, prophecies, dreams, visions, signs, wonders. And it shall come to pass in verse 21 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There shall be, says God through the, 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 the prophet Joel, a great advance of the gospel. A great coming of the kingdom. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what he says. That's what will happen, says Joel, hundreds of years earlier. And Peter gets up that moment after all those shenanigans from this amazing prayer meeting that just went, went, went crazy, said this era that Joel was talking about has now begun. It was anticipated by many Jewish people, the coming of the kingdom. Do you remember um, last week we saw when Jesus spent 40 days with his apostles, he was teaching them about the kingdom. And when we've been reading through uh, the Gospel of Luke in our discipleship project reading plan, we see it is thick with teaching on the kingdom of God. Luke, by the way, wrote the first volume. Acts is his second volume. It's written by the same author, a two-parter, if you like. Thick with Jesus' ministry, the kingdom is coming. And we see Jesus renewing, restoring. We see him freeing people from oppression, healing their bodies, uh, saving them in every aspect of their being, giving them everything that they needed, every hurt being ministered to. That's what happens when the kingdom comes. Jesus was showing, and Peter is saying, what Jesus brought is now here in abundance. It's available, he says, for all people. It's here. And it's for us today, by the way, Foundation Church. This is more than a historical survey that we're doing this morning. A Holy Spirit that came upon the, the early church in that moment is still here with us, still powerful among us. He is here now, and he is for you. So we've seen the event of Pentecost, some of the explanation of Pentecost, that is the fulfillment of the prophecy. What is the surprise of Pentecost then, number three? Um, because Peter's not done. He, he's quoted from Joel. He said this, this moment that Joel prophesied about is now here, but he's just getting going. There's, there's this huge surprise um, about to come in his sermon, his first, I suppose, sermon um, that's been recorded um, Jewish people who were listening with, with, with him so far were tracking up until this moment. Um, they were familiar with the themes. They would probably have been familiar with the prophet, prophecy from Joel, the signs and wonders, etc. We're on board. That sounds great. And isn't this amazing that God has, 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 has finally sent his Holy Spirit? Amazing. But who is it that does these amazing works, says Peter? Who, who is it that performs these wonders among you? Who is it that achieves such wonderful signs? Well, he says in verse 22 and beyond, it's Jesus of Nazareth who does these things. A man, it says, attested to you by God with mighty works and signs and wonders that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You've seen it, says Peter, to the crowds that gathered. You've heard the stories. 
You maybe even were there in some of the crowds over the years. Because Jesus did not do these things and say these things in, in secret, but he performed many wonderful works in, in crowds and in, in, in busy situations. Amazing. But in verse 23, Peter goes on. This is where the screw starts to turn. This man, this amazing man who did all these amazing things, this Jesus, he says, uh, was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And here it is. You crucified him. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. And this is the one who was raised up to the heavens, and we are all witnesses. And here is the surprise in verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. There it is. That's the surprise. And it's kind of easy to miss, so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to slow things down a little bit. These tongues, this ecstatic praise, this is all part of the, the program that what Jesus started in his life, he is carrying on now. It's not the Jesus who's down here with us anymore. It's Jesus who is up there at the right hand uh, with God the Father. Peter is saying that all you have seen and heard just now in Pentecost has come from Jesus. Do you remember how Peter started the sermon with this quote from Joel? Uh, in these last days, God declares, I will pour out my spirit. God declares, I will pour out my spirit. And according to Peter in verse 33, who is pouring out the spirit? Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified. God's pouring out his Holy Spirit at the start of the sermon. Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit at the end of the sermon. What is he saying? He's saying that Jesus himself is God. He is divine. He is one with God. Don't, don't forget that the Jews uh, were okay with the first part of Peter's sermon. They, they knew their Bibles. But this second part was utterly scandalous to them. And so in this, we go from how Jesus began to do and teach these things. We saw that last week. To how Jesus continues to do and teach these things by sending his Holy Spirit from the right hand of the Father on the day of Pentecost. The surprise of Pentecost is that we see Jesus pouring out the Holy Spirit. What is the significance then of Pentecost, number four? Well, in verse 36, this is the, the way that he ends the sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's it. That's the way he ends the sermon. Here he is, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, working wonders and signs. He's the one who's been approved by God. He died. He rose again. He ascended to God's right hand. And here he is now pouring out his Holy Spirit in, in fulfillment of the old prophets. How marvelous how amazing, how stunning, how, how wonderful, how glorious, great power, great wonder. Thank you, God. And what did you do when he was with you? You crucified him. God made him Lord. He made him Christ. You made him dead. You made him into a criminal. You rejected him. You killed him. 
you handed him over to the Romans to do their worst. And they carried that out with excellence. That's what you did. That's how he ends his sermon. This is in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Who asks a question like that? What shall we do? What can we do? Is it not people who know that they have been living in rebellion and rejection towards Jesus? But it starts to dawn on them that they have got this spectacularly wrong. Profoundly, disastrously wrong. And they're thinking about him and they're speaking about him and their actions towards him. What shall we do? The dread started to sink in. They assumed that Jesus was a fake, a troublemaker, an interesting weirdo at the most, a rabble rouser, a sorcerer, a heretic, empowered by Satan at the worst. These are the things that went around about him, but now it began to click. He was none of those things. He was who he claimed to be. And according to Peter, he was himself God. And look at what you've done to him. What shall we do? But praise God, there is a way out. There is an answer to their question. If there was no resurrection, if there was no faith, their question will just never be answered. But in verse 38, Peter responds, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a turnaround. You crucified him. You killed him. You rejected him. But if you turn and be baptized in the name of Jesus, that is signifying his lordship over you, his authority over you, you will receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What a turnaround. This is what is offered to you in the gospel, in the good news. This is the essence, I suppose, of the Christian message. To get out of this very deep ditch, this dark place, required a change of attitude towards Jesus. That's repentance in its essence. It literally means a change of your mind. Drop whatever you previously thought about Jesus and how you were previously living um, before him. And instead, turn towards God's assessment, God's truth, what Jesus has said, what he has done. Say that he is Lord. Say that he is Christ. He is the one who has got authority over your life. And as the Christ, he's the one who brings salvation to your life. And if you turn your life in that direction and you trust in what he's done, you'll receive forgiveness. Repent, he says. And be baptized. That is be baptized in water. As we'll see next week, that's what, that's what happens. Um, 
And as we, I said a few moments ago, as we were announcing our baptism service on the 25th of February, being baptized in water is, is a, in one way, it's, it's a way of outwardly identifying publicly what, what Jesus has done to you and for you and who he is. And, the, and you're saying as you go through water, you're saying he's, he's Lord, he's Christ. And when you do, says Peter, when you repent and respond in obedience in baptism, it says, you will receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get it all. Our purposes here are not to try and dissect everything and figure out what comes which. And it, you get the whole package. Turn to him and be baptized and be forgiven and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God himself not only forgives you, he will come upon you, he will fill you, he will empower you to know him, to enjoy him, to live for him. It's all yours. Scandalous. The significance of Pentecost. As we close out, I've got four um, implications of this teaching, which I'll lay out for you, and I hope, hope that at least one of them will, will uh, apply to you. Four implications for us today as a church as we consider Pentecost, and maybe for you as an individual as well. Um, both and. Should come up on the screen. The first one. Enter the kingdom personally by faith. By faith in Jesus. By faith in the good news about Jesus. We must enter the kingdom personally by faith. Repentance is something you must do. Obedience and baptism is something you must do. It is a personal thing for you to come to your own conclusions about Jesus. And, and, and the reason why that's important for you to grasp and for us to underscore this morning is that there is no such thing as inherited faith. Okay, Even if you come from the most religious family or your parents or your grandparents were believers, church attenders, good people, whatever it is, there is no such thing as inherited faith. There is no such thing as faith which is absorbed passively by osmosis or something that just sort of soaks into you and therefore you are right with God. That is not how the Bible sees it. That's not how Peter saw it. Don't forget these were devout Jews that were coming to celebrate Pentecost and talk about God and, and worship him. And he tells them, repent. Turn to Jesus. So there's no such thing as a, a faith that you inherit. This is your act. right? This is your decision. It's your faith. So don't, don't, don't rely on someone else's faith on your behalf. That's not how it works. You've got to enter the kingdom personally by faith. Asterix, personally, does not equal privately. Yes, it might be something secret and, and maybe, you know, you, 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 as a result of this message or some other thing you've heard in the past, you want to go home, you want to lock yourself away and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, but thank you for Jesus. Um, send, send your Holy Spirit. You might want to say that on your own in, in private, and that's absolutely fine. But faith is not private in and of itself. And that's why we do baptism as well. That's why Peter said, Repent and be baptized. So 25th of February, I've said that three times now, so hopefully it starts to sink in. It's your decision. Have you taken that step yet? My question to you, have you taken that step yet? Have you crossed that line where you've gone from some sort of vague faith cloud thing to an actual person? This is my faith. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. Have you done that? 
If not, then you should. Please don't leave without doing that. We will pray together at the end um, so, so that you can put those things into, into words. Enter the kingdom personally by faith. Second implication, join a community on mission. It flows, I suppose, from the first one. Personal faith, but it's not private. Join a community on mission. We're going to talk more about this next week. But, but when you come to Christ in faith, um, you also, I suppose, as it were, simultaneously join Christ's people. You join a community of other people who are also joined to Christ by faith. Um, it's called the church. And, and so um, uh, joining a community on mission, I suppose, is a way of visibly and publicly identifying with a specific group of people a specific um, manifestation of the local church, a a group of people who, like you, are sinners, and yet they have been wonderfully saved by Jesus. And they understand and enjoy his grace, and they want to live together, to live out their kingdom lives together. I've used this analogy so many times, but one piece of coal gives you some heat. But when you put two bits together, they burn brighter together. Three, four, ten, twelve, a dozen, a hundred, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. So too does the community on mission. The more they're added to it and say, I'm all in because of what Jesus has done, the more noise we make for Jesus, the more impact we can have. Join a community on mission. Here at Foundation Church, we have a a system of of, of membership, sort of informally formal uh, system where we'd just like to get to know you and then, uh, you know, uh, hear your story, hear about what God has done in your life. And, um, and then if, if it seems good and it's something you want to uh, do publicly, then we, we bring you into membership just by welcoming you in, praying over you. We've done that a few times over the last few weeks. I suppose church membership is like going from dating the church to getting married. It's about getting serious and saying, let's Let's, let's make a commitment here. Let's celebrate that for the world to see. Join a community on mission. Love to talk to you about that as well. One of the other leaders in the church as well would fill you in. Third implication, see and experience the Spirit. See and experience the Spirit. We'll be saying much more about this in the week to come. You can't avoid it in the book of Acts. But suffice to say for Luke who wrote Acts and Luke, the, the Gospel of Acts, The gift of the Holy Spirit is something that is given to you um, at conversion to Christ and remains with you your whole life. Yes, there are peaks and troughs. Yes, there are further empowerings and and moments and all the rest of it. But the point is this. The Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. He, He is not somebody who is just given to those kinds of people. And if you've been around church, you'll, you'll know who those kinds of, the spiritual people, the Holy Spirit guys, you know, the ones who don't obey the rules. No, no, no. We've just been reading the, this, this text from Joel. My spirit will come on all flesh, he says. All types of people, young and old, male and female, the high of society and the lowest. Everybody receives my Holy Spirit through coming to faith in the Son. The Spirit is the life and power of the church. It is Him who works in ordinary ways and extraordinary ways among us as His people so we might know and enjoy Jesus even more. This might be a challenge for some of us depending on your background, your experience of church, your theology even, that kind of thing. We will learn more about this as we go on. But the promise seems clear here. Joel seems clear 
The question is, are you clear? Are you open? Are you expectant of what God, the Holy Spirit, wants to do, can do? Are you willing to pray, do it again, Lord? You've started something amazing. Would you do it again? Fourth and final implication, the harvest continues. It's the beginning of the harvest. Pentecost, as we're reading here and as we've learned, is is the celebration of the first fruits, right? It's the first sign of God's goodness, his coming kingdom. Does the Holy Spirit slow down or speed up as the book of Acts continues? The answer is that Well, if we can say this, his ministry, his impact speeds up, goes wider, goes deeper to the ends of the earth and the depths of our hearts. That's his mission field. No sign of slowing down as the book of Acts rolls on, gathers pace and momentum as more and more are added to the community. And so as we are open and expectant to see and experience the Holy Spirit in and through our church, we will see people from the ends of the earth coming into the kingdom of God. From the beginning of the book of Acts until the end of the book of Acts, it's estimated that it fills about a 30-year time period. 30 years. This movement begins in Jerusalem and ends up in Rome. 30 years. The seat of power. As we speak right now, I am 42 years of age. I know, I know, it doesn't look it. I think I've got a book of Acts in me until I reach 72. 30 years. I've got 30 years by God's grace in me. Some of our kids, maybe they've got two book of Acts in them. Imagine that. Imagine what God can do in 30 years. Imagine what he can do here in Clarewood, in our city of Belfast, as as this is repeated, what we're doing here is repeated again and again across the city, north, south, east and west. Imagine if his mission breaks out here and continues to spread across the island, north and south, gospel transformation. It happened in the book of Acts and so... We're praying as a church, do it again, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus.